Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. The jazz session is a jazz interview show featuring the lives and the stories of the people who make this great music. All this week, I've been bringing you stuff from the Rochester International Jazz Festival, which actually ends tomorrow as I record this. And by the time I put it up on the website, it will end today. It's always an amazing week here in Rochester, and it's it's inconceivable that it's over already. It seems like it's gone by so fast. It's been really exciting to be doing this show during the Jazz Fest, because in previous years, I've done broadcasts for uh, the jazz station I worked at, but this is the first time I've really kind of, from beginning to end, created my own thing around the Jazz Festival, and I've had a great time doing it. Today, there's not going to be a Rochester International Jazz Festival Day 8 show, and the reason for that is that I only did two things today other than watch music, and that was interview Jason Moran and interview Don Byron. And so I'll be bringing you both those shows at some point. I'm not sure when I'll get to Don, but Jason will be right now. And as a matter of fact, with no further ado whatsoever, let's give you a taste of Jason Moran's new CD, Artist in residence. Break down down the barriers. Break down misunderstanding. Break down the art world. Break down the artists. Break down the general public. Break down their society. Break down procedures. Break down presuppositions. Break down intentions. Break down ideas. Break down the barriers. Break down misunderstanding. Break down the art world. I'm sitting in the River Club, a restaurant on the second floor of the Crown Plaza Hotel in downtown Rochester, and uh, joining me is Jason Moran, who played with uh, his group Bandwagon last night at uh, the Montage Grill for two completely packed sets. Thanks for being on the show, Jason. Pleasure to be here. Are you spending a lot of time in hotels these days? (laughs) Actually, these days, no. I spend a lot of time at home. (laughs) That's nice. How'd you work that out? Hey, that's just how the schedule falls. <laughs> that's great. Did, asked me this last month, that I would have said, oh, I'm spending a lot of times in hotels. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, last night was the first time I'd had a chance to actually see a bandwagon show live, heard the mm-hmm. records, but uh, it's really, really impressive when you see it because mm-hmm. there's just so much communication going on upstage and so much right. obvious love for the music you're playing. Mm-hmm. We t- last night seemed like kind of a retrospective of music history almost, mm-hmm. at least in the set that I saw. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about how you structure a bandwagon set. Well, that's pretty much where I take it from is um, so I think about our as the band myself Taurus Mateen and the Sheet Weights I think about our collective history as musicians um, and then we try to make sure we reflect as many aspects of it as we can in an hour hour 15 or whatever we play so I try to you know really focus on making sure I play a tribute to Jackie Byard which I did both sets you know I'll play a Jackie Byard song or making sure that I play some song that uh that I get the feeling of like what a Thelonious Monk song does, you know. So I'm working on Thelonious Monk material now, so we make sure we're kind of still experimenting with pieces. And then there are other pieces that are kind of like staples of the set. So, say a song like, uh, well, I don't know which set you saw, but say we play 
breakdown and we play artists ought to be writing like as a kind of collective bunch of you know conceptual art material <laughs> so you know we try to tap into you know every aspect of uh, how we play and usually the time is not enough because we could continue and continue but uh, you mentioned Jackie Byard you went to Manhattan school particularly because Jackie was there right right he was there and you know what better teacher to have that's what I was thinking at 18 and I was right <laughs> he was the He's the best teacher. And why is that? Well, his understanding of of history, of piano, like not only jazz history, piano, but uh, piano history from Bach on up. And um, so you felt that when he was playing. So he was had a way of teaching you about history without telling you about history. <clears throat> so he would write a lot of things down. And since he's from the era where, you know, he grew up and his father said, I want you to learn how to play like Teddy Wilson. Teddy Wilson is the icon, and um, so if you um, if you think like that, then the way you kind of contextualize modern piano and modern piano with Teddy Wilson is something totally different. So Jackie is able to put things in his left hand and things in his right hand that usually wouldn't go together. So he had a way of telling you about the entire history of jazz piano without ever saying, this is what you need to know. And, uh, and that's brilliant. So by the time I graduated, I felt like I really understood a lot of things. And then when I really started seriously checking out Earl Hines, it made sense. Did you study uh, some classical piano with Jackie as well? Or did he have you listen in particular? He did. Well, his thing was to know, it was mostly with Bach and the two and four part inventions. He was just, you know, you should know the possibility of what the fingers can do harmonically when they move at one time. Whereas usually piano players play a chord in the left hand and then run in the right hand, which is what most of us do. And um, But he, Bach was able to really manipulate the um, harmony in a way to have lines moving at once, making sense. It's very difficult. Now, your new CD, Artist in Residence, is uh, the, the result, much of the music is the result of commissions that you receive from various organizations. Um, how do you, when people commission things from you, do they give you an idea of what they want the end product to be like? Or how do those commissions work? Like Rain, no. for example. What? No, no. Everybody, well, the only one that was kind of, it was a co-commission, so it was with Joan Jonas, a right. performance artist. But that was the only one that was kind of like that. But even then, the music was like, you know. But for Lincoln Center, Jazz at Lincoln Center, they had no input. They just said, here's the here's the little bit of money. <laughs> here's the money, and uh, do what you like. Um, they just wanted something for a larger group. And then also uh, for the Walker Art Center, it was just make a piece that reflects our permanent collection you know, of art. So 
neither one of them really came in with any prerequisites. So it was really nice to kind of make pieces that reflect them. So I think, you know, with Rain and Lincoln Center, that they're, you know, all about the blues and history. And uh, so I thought this would be a great time to do, you know, a 2005 version of the Slaves' Ring Shout. And we took it from there. Will you talk a little bit more about what a ring shout is? Well, you know, I'm not a historian, so, I mean, most people should go look it up and look up multiple examples of what it is. Um, there are very few, like, recorded examples, but it was the way I'm understanding it and the way I've mythologized it in my <laughs> demented <laughs> brain was, you know, slavery is one thing. And then what slaves would do is they had a way of celebrating. Like, they would sometimes go to, say, a, a church with, you know, everybody. And... um after church was over, sometimes they would sneak away into the woods, or sometimes it would happen in the church, but sneak away into the woods, this is my version, go into the woods, and people, the slaves would dance and sing in a circle, but only the dancers would dance in a circle. The singers would stand off to the side of the ring, and they would just sing song after song after song, and they said sometimes for hours and hours and hours, up until exhaustion. And exhaustion was the major term that I wanted to make sure we arrived to. So in that piece, it's like 11 and a half minutes or whatever, is that we arrive at a point where everybody goes above and beyond and you become exhausted. And, you know, in slavery, there's no freedom. So if somebody hears something, you know, say a slave master hears something in the woods, they're going to come out and cut it off. So therefore, I have this abrupt ending to this piece of just kind of... Even though it's the footsteps, it doesn't fade away, it just stops. It's like then you have to go back to this other lifestyle that is depressing.
The uh, the set last night and the album feature samples from uh, a very talented and often provocative philosopher and yoga practitioner and ethicist. Will you talk about her and, and why she's inspired your music? Um, Adrian Piper is, um, I keep saying, she's just one of the great American artists, a person who has reflected, who's been able to, just the way John Coltrane or Jelly Roll Morton was able to like infuse their life into the music, she was able to infuse her life within her artwork that she did. So her issues with sexuality, her issues with racism, um, she was really able to put on canvas or put in photographs or put in installations. Um, so it's not only that she's able to do that as kind of like this extremely brilliant woman. I mean, when you talk to this lady, it's just like it's everything she responds to, if you ask her a question about something, I'm, I, if I'm asking her some music question, she has an extremely brilliant way of responding and kind of provoking you to do something else. And that's what her work that I've, I felt uh, when I saw it was doing to me. It was provoking me. It was kind of jabbing at me, even though it was just sitting on a wall. It was trying to, it was poking at me. And um, it poked at me to become more intense, to become more studied, uh, and to become more um, truthful about what I was trying to do as a musician and as an artist. And uh, so I'm really thankful that she even exists. Artists ought to be writing about what they do and what kinds of procedures they go through to realize a work, what their presuppositions in making the work are, and related things. If artists' intentions and ideas were more accessible to the general public, I think it might break down some of the barriers of misunderstanding between the art world and artists and the general public. I think it would become clear the extent to which artists are just as much a product of their society as anyone else with any other kinds of vocation. Artists ought to be writing about what they do and what kinds of procedures they go through to realize a work, what their presuppositions in making the work are, and related things. If artists' intentions and ideas were she wrote a piece that reminds me of you, Please Don't Call Me a, and it's a long litany of things, you know, Please Don't Call Me a Black Philosopher, Please Don't Call Me a Woman Artist, and at the end it says, I've earned the right to be an artist, I've earned the right to be a philosopher, and uh, it made me think of the fact that the one thing you can say, the one thing you can always predict about a Jason Moran record is that you can't predict anything about a Jason Moran record. <laughs> I wonder if you feel like you're trying to get to a place where there aren't any more, there aren't labels for what you're doing. It's Well, maybe, That's a, you know, I never really thought about it. Um, but I, you know, I've often, um, part of my, I guess, growing up in the eighties is this kind of restless energy that I feel like, you know, at certain moments and I should be focusing on this. Um, so every year when I make a record, usually it's my obsession <laughs> at that moment. Right. So like my obsession with Sam Rivers <laughs> or my obsession with solo piano and being able to just play or my obsession with performing live and then doing these pieces with tape. My obsession with art, you know, um, is my recent obsession. But now my obsession now is Thelonious Monk, 1959, <laughs> town hall concert. <laughs> and, um, you, you know, I just... Um, I do uh, I do make a conscious effort to like I, I like to say I like to make a conscious effort for each record to give the listener a different look 
you know, in the fashion world, they have a thing like, you know, how many looks do you have? You know, meaning like, okay, when, you know, you're casual, your summer, your, you know, your evening wear, you know, your formal wear, you know, like, how many looks do you have? Um, and then as the years go by, those looks change. But maybe I won't even address the blues again for another five years. Um, then, you know, you just put them out and see if they float and then move on. <laughs> How does a piece of art on a wall become a piece of music for you? What's that process from seeing something that inspires you to turning it into well, something? Well, it's, it's, it's that you have any reaction to it. It's the first thing. Um, I think that's the way music is, too. It's like if I walked into the jam session last night and heard five bars, if I had any reaction, then it's probably good. If I had no reaction, I think it's bad. Right. <laughs> you know, I just went to the bar and just ordered some drinks. And so um, that's where it starts from is that you have to have some reaction to or an opinion about what you felt or to know what you felt and then you take that and try to not that you try to duplicate it because there's ways of just duplicating conceptual art maybe or what most of what I'm a little disgusted by is people's you know often tried and true roads of composition where they take jazz and art and they choose the same people so they choose Romare Beard and they choose Matisse they choose Picasso and Cubist and they it's like, oh my goodness, that was the other reason for you choosing Adrian Piper. It was like, well, you know, Adrian is just as powerful as these people are to me. And um, so it's like having that gut. The same way if I listen to Earl Garner and want to do an Earl Garner record, I know what I love about Earl Garner. And I'll know how to just take some of what he does in his right hand and some of what he does in his left hand and make that the focus conceptually and then see how you can change it. What is it about Monk's 59 Town Hall concert that's grabbing you right now? <laughs> well, it's, it's a new commission. <laughs> so, you know, like Dave Chappelle says, you know, uh, you know, do I like Pepsi more or do I like Coke more? Well, I like Pepsi because they paid me last. <laughs> so Monk is paying me right now. <laughs> and um, now, but, but Monk is the reason I started playing jazz piano seriously. And um, so I've been commissioned to recreate his Town Hall concert. So I've done what I call an artifact version where we played the music as is and uh, T.S. Monk played drums. This was a really, really amazing concert we did in San Francisco uh, at the San Francisco Jazz Festival. And uh, so I was commissioned by them, San Francisco Jazz, Chicago Symphony Orchestra, I mean Symphony Hall, uh, Washington Performing Arts Society, and Duke University. And who was the rest of the band in San Francisco? You and T.S. Monk? T.S. Monk, Taras Mateen, Walter Smith playing tenor, Jaleel Shaw playing alto, Ambrose Akinusir playing trumpet, Bob Stewart playing tuba, Vincent Chancy playing French horn, uh, Alex Harding playing baritone, and uh, Isaac Smith playing trombone. Hmm. So, it's, so it's, you know, it's a big group. It's a ten-piece yeah, yeah. group. It's just a lot, of, a lot of energy. And oh, oh, and most importantly, um, what's my man David Weiss transcribed it because <laughs> the charts don't exist anymore. Right. So he transcribed the whole concert. Good job you did. Um, so I'm making this kind of multimedia version of Monk at Town Hall, and it's called In My Mind, and it's more like an investigation, like a concertized investigation of the concert. So it starts in 2007, goes back to 1959 to think about Monk, and this photographer named W. Eugene Smith has an archive of 45,000 photographs he made from 1957 to 64, and also thousands of hours of tape of audio tape and he recorded musicians coming in and out of his loft to practice and Monk was one of these people and so you hear hours and hours of tape Monk 
talking to the arranger, Hal Overton, about the charts and playing each song over and over again, making sure he got the chords right. And just, you get to hear him conceptually talk about the concert. <laughs> it's like unbelievable to hear him practice. You know, Not that he's in practice, he's just showing you. So it's almost like you get to walk through a, them create this concert together. Fucking brilliant. Um, and then I thought, you know, if you investigate Thelonious Monk in 1959, let's also go to 1869 and talk about Thelonious Monk's grandfather, who was a slave in North Carolina. And let's listen to Thelonious Monk's music from 1959, thinking about his grandfather from 1869 as a slave. Hmm. And so let's, like, you know, let's visually and sonically try to put different things into our brain rather than think, oh, this is just good music. But this music comes from that, as far as I'm concerned. So how do we cope with all of that now? Um, that's Those are the questions. When is In My Mind going to premiere? It premieres in October at Duke University. Um, and then it moves on for four more shows, three more shows, and it should be uh, interesting. Ah, that sounds fascinating. You are also, uh, just before we close, you're playing tonight again here at the Jazz Festival, this time with uh, Don Byron and the, the Ivy Divey Project. Talk a little bit about, about that and what that experience is like. It's a pretty, a pretty well, cool setting. Yeah, Don is a um, funny guy, period. He's <laughs> just up front. So it's uh, nice to just be around him. He always has a very interesting view on whatever the current television show, <laughs> political <laughs> debate, everything. So I always look forward to just hanging with him. Uh, but we've been doing this for the past maybe three years, and um, it's a baseless trio um, inspired by Lester Young's trio with Nat King Cole and Buddy Rich. So it's fun, you know, technically just to be able to exist without a bass player and to just play, kind of play duo with Billy Hart when it comes time for me to take a solo. So Don always, you know, chooses a, sometimes it's very standard standards. And so you really feel like you can come to these pieces with a clean slate and then see how you can construct, you know, from there. Um, and how from night to night, if you can change them, the construction. So it's always challenging. What's uh, what's coming up next for you in terms of being on the road? Actually, Nasheed Waits has his band. He, he's formed a band. <laughs> and uh, we're going to Italy next week, just for a week. And then I'm in New York, playing in New York for a while, and... Uh, uh, not really on the road. Cassandra Wilson is going to make a recording later this summer, and um, I'm going on a retreat by myself up in Wyoming for two weeks to write, finish this Thelonious Monk stuff, and to also complete a commission that I've gotten also from the Imani Winds, which is a classical wind ensemble. Um, so I'm more working on writing and working on conceptualizing this in my mind piece. So. Why Wyoming? Because I knew I'd never go there. <laughs> so I kind of won this fellowship, to, I mean, this uh, re- this artist retreat. So it's like, yeah, let me not go on the East Coast. Let me not go on the West Coast. Let me go to <laughs> Wyoming, the part of the country I've never seen before, you know. And uh, I live in New York City next to the West Side Highway. So it's, you know, cars, you just get to see people moving all day long. <laughs> right. <laughs> How about looking at nothing move except birds, you know? And so I'm just looking forward to that, really. Well, thanks a lot, Jason. I appreciate you taking Thank the you. time. Cheers.
That's music from pianist Jason Moran and Bandwagon with, from the Artist in Residence CD on Blue Note Records. You've been listening to The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. If you like what you heard, please tune in, because even when there's not a major jazz festival with more than 200 acts in Rochester, the jazz session still goes on, bringing you great interviews all the time. We've got interviews coming up with Don Byron, Ingrid Jensen, Rick Parker, and uh, some other interesting things that have come my way recently to schedule that I'm looking forward to bringing you. I'm not going to say the names yet, but they're big ones, and I think you're going to enjoy it. Please visit the Jazz Sessions website at thejazzsession.com. You'll find news, reviews, links to other jazz sites, and a whole lot more. You'll also find links to subscribe to the show. The best way to do that is via iTunes, if you're an iTunes user. There's a one-click subscription link right there on the site. Just click it. It'll subscribe to the show and download the most recent episode. And then from then on, you'll always have the most recent show whenever you want to hear it. The site also features a link to the Jazz Session Cause of the Month. This month, it is the Music Maker Relief Foundation, so please support them with your dollars. The site also features a store, and if you can't buy your music locally, which I always encourage, then uh, you can buy it through one of the big, mega, super online giant distributors, and a little piece of the money will come back to me. And that's good for me, mostly. I write interviews and reviews for AllAboutJazz.com, the world's leading jazz website. I invite you to go there and check those out and read and listen to and watch and download all the other amazing stuff at All About Jazz. If you'd like to contact me, there's a handy contact page at TheJazzSession.com. You can also send me an email. Jason at TheJazzSession.com is my address. Or you can call 585-473-5304 and operators are standing by to take your phone call. Please join the mailing list. You'll see it at thejazzsession.com. There's even a link right at the top that says mailing list. Couldn't be easier. When you join, you'll get periodic updates about the things that are happening on the show, the guests who are coming on, the articles for All About Jazz, and you'll never get any spam, I promise. The theme music for the show is written and performed by the Respect Sextet online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo and the snazzy new Jazz Session business cards. Thank you very much for listening. Remember to support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening. Bye.